Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome and thanks for hanging out with us. Today we're chatting with someone at the top of their category, an elite entrepreneur. We're going to talk about learning from failure with Max James. Now, in interviewing hundreds and hundreds of people at the top of their category, one point has become very clear to me and to you, my audience. All of these people have had to deal with adversity, pitfalls, tumbles, disasters, and the like. We've spoken to people, they've been homeless, they've been, they've had failure after failure, and yet they climbed up. They all went and not just climbed up, but they became, um, they became is that the right way to say it? They went to the top of their game, the top of their category, whom I call an elite entrepreneur. And so how do we do that? How do we, how do we bounce back? How do we shift? How do we make this happen? Is there any business that's perfect from inception? Is there such a thing as a cakewalk? In my entire career, I think I've met one person who had his entire life handed to him when he was young. But aside from that, everybody else had to work. And yes, it, no matter how well we plan things, there are impeding issues that come up that are completely out of our control. For example, my Lead generation business was beset with rules and protocols that took my business down to its to its knees, even though my revenue was in the seven digits. So we have some items to learn here. And while we're at it, this is really important, folks. This is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. We want to help you get very successful at dealing with and beating setbacks and failures. I want you to meet Max James. He's an Air Force Academy graduate and rescue pilot, and he was shot down in Vietnam twice. He's the original founder and CEO of American Kiosk Management, a billion-dollar global presence in America, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand with 5 million repeat customers, 1,000 automated stores, and 54,000 employees. That is quite something. His latest book is called The Harder I Fall, The Higher I Bounce. That says it all. Let's get into it. Hi, Max. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Thank you, Tony. Mighty proud to be here. Thank you. The honor is all mine. We're all looking forward to learning from failure. And the most intriguing thing, which I've just mentioned here in the intro, Max, you were shot down in Vietnam, not once, but twice. Can you please <laughs> tell us, what's your backstory? Uh, yeah, I was shot down twice. Uh, I've won some awards for being a great helicopter rescue pilot. Uh, and I've said to the people, I don't know how great I was. I mean, I got shot down twice. Uh, how good is that? No, it was uh, uh, when we graduated from the Air Force Academy in 1964. Gives you some idea how old I am and how many failures I probably had. <clears throat> but in any event, 1964, we graduated, went to pilot training and went to war. So depending on your attitude, that was either good news or bad news, but that's the way it worked. And I had the best mission in the Air Force. Our job was to bring pilots home after they had been shot down. So I was stationed in Laos, by the way, before there was a war in Laos. So we were affiliated with the CIA and Air America. 
we were stationed on the ground about 71 miles from Hanoi. And so when the fighters went in to bomb or uh, reconnaissance uh, North Vietnam, we would join them at the border. Obviously, in a helicopter, you're not flying as fast as a jet fighter. So we would join them at the border. And when they went in, we went in behind them. And if they got shot down, it was our job to bring them home. So uh, I got lucky. I brought home 10 guys. And uh, uh, a lot of one guy sent me a case of scotch every Christmas for years because we brought those guys home from three choices, Tony. There was the Hanoi Hilton. There was death, of course, in the marches uh, to the POW camps. Or there was me. And so I was a pretty good third choice. Uh, we did a lot of uh, a lot of briefing with those pilots. We got to know them really well. We spent a lot of time at the officers' club, at the bar. I might tell you, celebrating when we came uh, brought home uh, somebody. Uh, so that was the mission, and the mission of the Air Rescue Service is that others may live, that others may live, and that was uh, that was our mission. And so it didn't matter whether it was a brush fire, World War Five. It didn't matter. Our job was to bring these guys home so they could spend the rest of their lives with their family, with their children, with their wives, and in a career in the Air Force or in the, in the commercial world of, of feather merchants. So it was a great mission. Uh, how did it happen that I got shot down? We don't need to go into those two stories unless we have time and you want to. But by and large, um, I was rescuing uh, a pilot that had uh, been shot down, was on a mountain, we couldn't get him because of the fire, ground fire and, and uh, weather and so forth. And so we had to leave him there overnight. <clears throat> we went back to Laos, did everything we could to make it possible to be able to reach him the next morning. We went over there and he was alive. He was still running from the bad guys all night long. And we were able to get in and, and get him out of there. Now, here's the bad news. So we're on the way home. He's excited. We're excited. We've saved another uh, pilot. And we get back into Laos, and uh, my crew chief calls and said, Captain James, we have an oil leak. Now, in a helicopter, there are two kinds of oil leaks. There is the engine oil leak, and we had two jets. There's the transmission oil leak. If you have a transmission that stops on a helicopter, that big fan on the top, it quits running. And you have the glide ratio of a rock. So obviously, suddenly my throat was full of stuff coming out of my stomach. And uh, I said, tell me, please, that it's an engine oily. Sir, I'm sorry, it's the transmission. <clears throat> How bad is it? It's pouring. So I call Saigon, Mayday. I got to get this helicopter on the ground before that fan quits turning. And then uh, the response was, stand by. Stand by, you gotta be kidding, I, you know, I'm going to. So uh, they called back shortly and said, we have some coordinates for you. It's a village uh, in Laos. We think it's friendly. <laughs> you think? <clears throat> so at any rate, uh, we smashed down basically what I call a Navy landing. You just dr fly it into the ground because it didn't want that fan to stop. And it was like, uh, Tony, I'll quit telling all these stories, but it was like an old Western movie. Okay, there's this dirt street, there's these huts, cabins, huts, on both sides of the street, not a soul in sight. So now it's like uh, on the far end of the street, two people come out. Now it's like the gunfight at OK Corral. Who are these? Are they friendly? 
They're walking toward the helicopter, and one of them is carrying something. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what it is. So the prayer rescue a troop and I, him with an F-16 and me with a little 45, we're going to defend our helicopter and the crew that's on the helicopter. At about, I said to the PJ, and they just keep coming. So here's what we're going to do. At about 40 yards or something, drop them, because I don't know if that's a bomb they're carrying or what. So at about, I don't know, 50 yards or something, they stopped. And one was carrying something that had a cloth over it. And boy, the hairs on the back of my neck went straight up. And I, this is it. This is the tipping point, right? And the one guy reaches over and he pulls that cloth off of what he was carrying. And it was hot tea. It was a friendly village. <laughs> so, didn't shoot him. <laughs> or else the village would have suddenly not been very friendly, I suspect, don't you? <laughs> so anyway, that was the mission. And air rescue organizations, most decorated uh, outfit in uh, in the entire Vietnam War uh, because of the mission that we were fortunate enough to and honored to be able to fly. Well, I'm sure I cannot say enough superlatives of how incredible a story that is. I've read a few books in the past. Louis L'Amour, I think of the sure. pilot that shot down in Siberia. Yep. Two eggs on my plate, but that's going way, way, way <laughs> back. Different, different times of shot down. Very, very exciting. I could do the whole show on that, but we are entrepreneurs here, and there's probably some groans out there going, I want to hear the rest of the story. Well, we'll <laughs> pick up a little bit more on this, but I did want to cover some key points, Max, if all right okay. with you. Sure. From and, and and there's another time you were shot down, so we haven't even gone over all of that story, but just a little bit of a juxtaposition. You went from that, you could have stayed in, in the military, you could have done anything. You went into the kiosk industry, and I'm curious, how did you get from there to there? And I mean, you've you you really nailed it in the kiosk industry. Uh, you have a billion dollar company there how did how did you wind up going there well it's a it's a long story uh, a story of a lot of failures and uh, fortunately some some successes uh, yeah I left the uh, the Air Force and uh, went to Stanford picked up an MBA went to wor work for the world's richest man learned an awful lot uh, about business uh, various businesses from the movie industry real estate banking a whole bunch of things that we were involved in it was a great experience uh, was on a 195 foot yacht of his in uh, Malaga uh, Mallorca and uh, we had been out uh, to sea and we came back in and I'm standing up on what I call the poop deck. It's where all the antennas are up on top of these yachts and pigeons and, and seagulls all land. And out in the water are Westerners like me in a madras shirt and, and short Bermuda shorts and straw hats on those paddle boats. You know the ones I'm talking about? And they're waving at this big yacht coming into port. And I'm up there like it's my boat, all right? Saluting them, waving back. And it hit me. I absolutely had an epiphany. I have lost my perspective. I'm on this boat like it's mine. I'm flying in, in the richest man 737 around all these different countries like it's my airplane. It probably costs more per day to operate that yacht than I was paid in a year. So I've lost my perspective. To shorten the story, I resigned, uh, went back 
and uh, went into real estate as an entrepreneur, uh, did quite well in several of those. Uh, the recession of 08 hit the housing industry really badly. I thought I was going to go bankrupt. Fortunately, I did not. Uh, that's a whole nother story. But I continued on, and, and I was invited into the nutritional supplement industry. And in that industry, there was a company that my lawyer suggested I go interview with. They were looking for a CEO. I told my lawyer, I'm not looking for a job. I'm an entrepreneur. And so I went anyway. And they were selling their weight management product, not only as a multi-level marketing company, but they allowed their distributors to sell at retail on these carts in shopping malls down the hallway. And I said, I don't think I'd be interested in, you know, well, how much could it cost to get in that and how much money could you make? So they told me it would cost you about $5,000 to get one of those started way back then. And uh, they said, we're, uh, the carts are making about $10,000 profit. And I laughed. I said, you're telling me I can put $5,000 up and make $10,000 a year, double my money. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. That's $10,000 a month. Well, now I said, look, I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. They said, well, why don't you go check them out? I did, and guess what? They were making at least $10,000 a month. So I started into that business, malls and carts, and uh, I think I got up to 84, making more than $10,000 a month selling this product. That company eventually was sold off to a farmer. That's another whole long story. But I liked that business. It was a cookie cutter business. If you can develop one business, one cart operating in a mall, if you can do a dozen of those, you can do a dozen, dozen. They're just cookie cutters. So the thing that we brought to that business was the ability to manage remote locations that only had one manager and two other people that were part-time. How do you keep them from stealing from you? How do you manage those people? How do you train those people? We developed that business and uh, became the world's largest owner-operated cart and kiosk business, which is why Fortune Magazine referred to me as the king of kiosks. Uh, we did really well and eventually built up a, a billion-eight uh, business. So that's kind of the leapfrog as to how I got there with all these failures in between. We're talking about learning from failure with Max James, and you can find him at maxjamesauthor.com. So let's spell that M-A-X-J-A-M-E-S-A-U-T-H-O-R.com, maxjamesauthor.com. Thank you, John. Max, it's, it's tough for me because I, I'm a, I used to be more of a voracious reader. I still think I'm a good reader. I can't stop but go back to Vietnam on that story, so forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's a little tease to the audience. We talked a little bit about the business. I'm just think, getting this in my brain. You're shot okay. from the skies the first time in Vietnam. Now, when you're shot down, I mean, we all believe, we're all told, you're excused from flying in combat. You you don't have to fly. You, you get a vacation. What made you want to go back again? I think it's the mission. I think it's the mission. It, it was just such a great purpose to be able to bring guys home that were facing those three choices, death. Uh, we had trained well. I've been often asked, how did you have the courage to go into enemy fire, to hover 
and just sit there like a sitting duck while they were shooting at you and so forth. The answer is the courage comes. I think the mother of courage is training. So when time came and you were called to go in, you just did it. You just turned to all the things you had been taught, all the things that you had learned, and you just did it. You just went in and did all the things that you knew how to do, and hopefully you would do them well, and hopefully the circumstances surrounding your going in would be okay, and, and you would come out a winner. So it was the mission. It was the mission. Uh, were you afraid before they called you in? Absolutely. I mean, you, the fear just disappeared because what you replaced it with was training, preparation. These are the same things that entrepreneurs have to do. You have to train. You have to hone your skills. You have to be willing to take risk, big risk in the case of a lot of entrepreneurial ventures, and just do it. Just do what you want. If you think you want to be an entrepreneur, that's not good enough. You have to know that you're willing to face failure. You have to know that failure is a great way to learn how to do it better next time. And that's what the harder I fall, the higher I bounce really says, okay? Every time, every single time in my career that I have fallen, failed, moved on to the next deal, I have bounced higher. It has been better. Sometimes I fail that second, third, or fourth times. But each time I learn. And so I learned a lot more from my failures than I did my successes. No question about it. No question about it. And the same was true of flying. Every time we didn't get a guy, we got shot up pretty badly. We had to leave or we landed in strange places. Uh, I learned something. Learned something that I hopefully wouldn't do wrong next time or perhaps could do a lot better. It sounds like... It's a process of being, in a way, self-aware and conscious of all the factors and how one, in going Same through it again, how one could do it better. How how could I make this happen? I think we all go through that a lot. We, A lot of us, I think, not necessarily everybody, we have that luxury of we can go back and take a look and go, what did I do wrong here? And I, I, I do speak with quite a lot of people who've made it despite all that. But yours is yours is very unique in that. When you have failed, you have solved that issue, if that's the right way, or, or, or found another way to approach and attack it and come out even bigger, better, badder, if I could say it that way. Even though you may fail again, you still would, you just, you kept on. Is there some, is there some strong purpose or some passion here? It's like, because you literally could have gone and do anything. People, when they fail, don't necessarily go back in the same industry. What kept you going all the time? The first one is survival, <laughs> okay? I mean, if you've put all of your assets, financial assets, all of your energy into building a business and it fails, first of all, it's not always your fault. And that's one of the chapters that I write about. It ain't always your fault, okay? The government changes the rules. Uh, you're a distributor and the company sells the company to somebody else in a foreign country and all the rules change. It's not always your fault, by the way, I should tell everyone, it's not just in business that these principles are important. When you fail in a relationship, when you fail in a journey of some other sort, <clears throat> when you have family that goes off the track, those are failures and they're tough to bounce back from. 
but you do it for a purpose. And that's a lot of the principles that I think that Jack Canfield said, these principles don't apply just to business, Max. They apply to people's personal lives. So in any event, uh, survival is number one reason for bouncing back. I got to eat. I got to pay the mortgage on this house. I got to send my kids to college, whatever it is, all the other things in your life besides just business. So survival is number one. Secondly, sometimes I'm just mad. How did I make that mistake? I should never have hired that person. I didn't check their character. You know, one of the principles is hire for character, train for skills. I don't care if the guy's the smartest guy in the world, if he's a a crook or a cheat or a thief, okay, then you've made a mistake. Hire for character, and you can train the skills that you need at certain levels. Okay, so the second thing is anger. I'm just mad at myself, maybe even mad at the world, and I'm going to show you. I can do this. And so it's grit. It's resilience. It's perseverance. Those three things, if you have them. If you don't have them, don't go into the business of being an entrepreneur. If you don't have to do this business, then don't. You become a great entrepreneur when you've got to do it. I, if I don't do this, I'm a, I've got to do it. So those were the things that caused me to go back into it. And I think from a financial standpoint, standpoint Tony, I wanted financial independence. I came from a farm. We were sharecroppers in Tennessee, and I wore flower sacks uh, to school as shirts to school, and overalls, and I rode a horse to school for a period of time. So I wanted financial independence, and that was a that was a good goal. I also wanted to give back. My culture was one of giving back. And I was able to do that by becoming a, a successful entrepreneur, was able to create a foundation, was able to help build a building for character and leadership at the Air Force Academy and a whole bunch of other things. Doesn't matter. But it was extremely satisfying to have that goal and to make it. Max, I want to get into some topics of your book, like resilience, leadership. <laughs> but before I do, you yeah. wrote this book and I'm just thinking, OK, you've been shot down a few times. When, where, take us to the moment when you go, I should write this in a book. I should put this all out there. Yeah, I, <laughs> when you're successful and a lot of people have contributed to your success, one way to recognize that is to tell the story of the help that you received. And so you feel in some sense, I think, an obligation. Now, there is a, a verse uh, in the greatest book ever written that said, um, and enlarge my territory. It's a prayer, enlarge my territory. I never thought that meant buy more land or more apartment or whatever. I always thought it meant my sphere of influence. And so it became a line <clears throat> out of Genesis that uh, impacted my life for quite some time and called the prayer of Jabez. Uh, a lot of your audience are probably familiar with it. But that second line says, and increase uh, my territory. So that was one reason I, I felt obligated to do so. I wanted to increase my sphere of influence. The other reason was, like Mark Twain, uh, I'm not comparing myself to his success, 
but I like to tell stories. I'm just an old storyteller. I think that came from my country uh, living before we had anything but an old radio. You told stories around the stove, pot, uh, pot stove at the local general store or wherever. So people, as I had all these experiences, Tony, working for the world's richest man and going to all these places and building these companies and meeting celebrities and so forth, I'd tell these stories. And people would say, gee, Max, you ought to write a book. And you know, so eventually, I, when I retired, I sold the company uh, to Nestle, the last company. And I thought, you know, what the heck am I going to do? I'm bored to death. Um, I'm 80 years old now. There's only so much you can do. And so I said, uh, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time. And I talked to people like Canfield who said, yeah, go ahead and write the book. And so I did. But it took me three years uh, to do it. And uh, but it's done, and and hopefully the purpose will be achieved. The purpose was to help, particularly entrepreneurs, not make all the mistakes that I did, to do things more successfully than I did, by telling the stories, and each story has a principle that I hope will be beneficial to entrepreneurs and also other people. Thank you for explaining that because I, so that's, that's just much more recent than back then after getting shot down the second time, you're going, no one's going to believe this. I got to write this. <laughs> I was wondering no. about that. No. Well, there's some great topics in the book and I'm going to just start off right here. Max, how do you define leadership? There's probably a thousand books, maybe a thousand, thousand written on leadership. Um, there are also a lot of books written on character and leadership and character. So we have a thing at, at uh, the Academy called the Center for Character and Leadership Development. And we're continuing to study those two things and try to find out what makes good leaders uh, because they come from all different fields. It's not necessarily just leadership as a CEO of a major company. It's leadership of your family. It's leadership of uh, whatever you're involved in, uh, philanthropic. So leadership is a tough one to define. It sounds like I'm evading your question. I'm trying not to. The first thing leadership comes from is you have to learn to lead yourself. You have to know how to discipline yourself, how to motivate yourself, how to uh, ex be able to express what your objectives are, and then to live with those. Lead yourself. Don't get off the track. Stay on the track. Okay. What did Yogi Bear say? When you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> well, you, you, you have to take one. You have to lead yourself in making those kind of decisions. So leadership first is there. Secondly, lead from behind. You don't get out in front of the people. You go with them and you lead by example. I'm with you. I will support you. I've got your back. You've got to know that. All right. And then leaders have to be decisive, which means view all of the issues, the problems, make the best decision you can, and then punch that decision forward with the people, letting them know, convincing them that it's worthwhile. They have to also benefit from it. There are a lot of ways to benefit from uh following a leader. Uh, one is self-satisfaction. 
I had the discipline. We accomplished the goal as a team, not just as an individual. So I think leadership involves a whole bunch of characteristics. Um, and that's why the books are continually written and written and written. We've done studies. What makes cadets uh, from the military academies, which ones become generals and why? What separates those that retire? And, and this is not a negative thought, but those that retire as a lieutenant colonel or even as a colonel, what stopped them as leaders from moving into the general ranks? General officer ranks. Uh, I can't answer your question in, in short words there, but uh, pick up a few books and read them. And uh, people that have given you examples of their leadership. Tough question, Tony. No problem. And definitely pick up the book, The Harder I Fall, The Higher I Bounce by Max James. It's got some great topics in there. I'm going to pick one at random. Okay. I like, this. I like them all, but here's just at random. If you don't like your work, you probably don't do it very well. Yeah, let me give you an example. I'm on the farm, right? And I've been following two gray mules and, and plowing, and, and suddenly we get enough money, we buy an old tractor. And, of course, Dad drives the tractor most of the time, but I got a chance. So I'm out in the field, and I'm driving the tractor, and guess what? It stops. Now, I knew not much about tractors, but I cleaned the carburetor. I cleaned the spark plugs. I did everything I know, knew how to do, burning myself, reaching in there, trying to uh-oh, here comes Dad bouncing an old pickup truck across those plowed fields, dusty. And I said, this cannot turn out very well. So Dad gets there, and he says, now what the heck is wrong? And I said, Dad, I don't know. I da -da 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 -da. And he said, get out of the way. And sure enough, about five or six minutes later, room, 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 the tractor's running just fine. He looks at me, and he said, I want you to remember this. Get away from that wheelbarrow. You don't know much about machinery. So the point is, if you know how to fix a wheelbarrow, you're probably not going to do very well with mechanics. So my dad said to me, you don't like this farm very much, do you? And I said, Dad, I got to tell you, I hate it. I hate the work. I hate, I don't like. He said, okay, I'm going to let you go. What? Yeah, you don't have to do this anymore. And I was 13 years old, I think, probably. And he said, uh, I said, uh, well, wait a second. Who's going to take my place? I mean, you need me. He said, put his finger in my chest, and he said, that's my problem. Don't you worry about it. Go to town and get yourself a job. The point being, okay, I wasn't very good at it. I didn't like it. And the result was what? I couldn't even get the tractor started. So the point you're making and the point there is if you don't like your job, you're probably going to know this is boring or I hate this instead of focusing on trying to do better and learn the skill. And so if you don't like what you're doing, my suggestion is look hard at yourself. What are the skills you have and what would you like to apply those skills to? And if you're not ready to make that quantum leap, then hone those skills, study, work on it, decide on, on the thing you want to do and study that. And then find another job. Quit screwing around with something you don't like to do. Max, I got to ask you: Did you go to town and get an, and get another job? 
I went to town. I pumped gas and cleaned windshields and oil. Then I became a, 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 a guy that put your groceries in the sack, a sacker at the grocery store. I finally got a job at a men's uh, uh, a clothing store. Uh, at the time, it was just a kind of a junk store, and I sold socks and underwear and things like that. Dry goods store is the word I tried to look for. And I got promoted up to Main Street in Humboldt, Tennessee, to work up there. And then finally, uh, a haberdashery, a men's haberdashery, men's clothing store hired me. And I learned an awful lot about sales, and uh, I stayed in that job. Uh, and then I got invited to go to Washington, D.C. my senior year and became the administrative assistant to a congressman before I graduated from high school. And he said, how'd you like to have my job? And I said, yeah, that's really exciting. I like it up here. I'm chauffeuring senators around and whatnot, 17 years old. He said, okay, I'm a, if you want my job, you want to be a congressman, there's some things we got to do. You got to go to college. And I don't know if we can afford college, he said. First lesson in taking my job and becoming a congressman. The government will pay for anything. <laughs> so off we went to the military academy to shorten the story. That's quite amazing. And speaking of sales, it's there's another topic in your book which some people are afraid to do, and that okay. is all, always be prepared to walk away from the negotiating table. Yeah, I learned that from the rich guy working for him, he would have sessions, people on his staff down to Beverly Hills Hotel, and he'd get two or three bungalows. And he'd have the lawyers and support staff negotiating uh, for his benefit and their benefit. And he would walk in and uh, he would say, I understand we're having some problems in here. That we're negotiating and it isn't going anywhere. And maybe you guys are, are getting angry. He said, look, 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 we're not going to do that. It's not worth it. We're friends. And so here's the deal. Let's just go to lunch. Let's all leave uh, this bungalow and go somewhere and have lunch. The deal isn't that important that we would mess up friendships. And you know what most of the time would happen? They'd say, no, 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 wait a second. We can get through this. And so it was a good negotiating tool. But I saw him many times walk away from, from the table. He had drawn a line, and he would negotiate down to that line, and they didn't walk away from the table. Now, I'll give you one more example, Tony. Uh, I had a business, and I had raised some money and was doing quite well, and I needed to raise some more money for expansion. And one of my investors was an auto dealer. Very clever, very sharp. I don't know how many dealerships he had. So I went into his office and I said, I need you to raise some more money and here's the deal. And I'm starting to tell him all the wonderful things we were doing. And he said, okay, it sounds good. And he said, so bring me the paperwork and uh, I'll sign it. I said, I've got the paperwork right here. He said, that's one of the reasons I invest with you. You're always prepared. So anyway, I handed him the paperwork and he started to sign and I kept talking about all the wonderful things that we were going to do. And here's what he said. He stopped signing those checks. And he said, Max, Max, never sell past the close. You might say something that I hadn't thought of and that I don't like. And I said, whoa, wait a second. I, I'm not interested anymore if that's the case. He said, when I've said yes, you say fine and shut your mouth take the check and run to the bank and deposit it. <laughs> so walking away from the table at the right time is 
has been important in my life, and, and there have been many times when I did just that. I'd say, I'm sorry, uh, I can't go any further, and, and most of the time it's over. Some of the times they say, oh, okay, well, fine, maybe we can go a little further. That is quite a good buyer with good character to actually tell you to shut up so he can finish writing the checks. Yeah, I don't you that. like that? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and there's another point here that we we don't know when to stop, and that is cutting your losses early. Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah, well, let's go back to the auto dealer. Uh, that business failed. And he lost his investment. And there's another thing about, I, it's an old saying, don't burn the bridges behind you. Uh, I go one step further. Not only don't burn the bridges behind you, but take your friends and business associates across the bridge with you. In this case, we stayed friends, this auto dealer and I, and he invited me to his house for a big cocktail party where he uh, was hosting Arnold Palmer, the golfer. And so that led to other things. I, it's just, sometimes it's obvious that you need to walk away. Let's say you've got uh, uh, negotiations or a partnership or a dealing with someone and suddenly the press for them turns badly, you can get burnt by getting too close to the fire, can't you? And so that would be a good time to say, I'm not a part of this, I'm resigning, I'm breaking the partnership or whatever. Other times you look, and here's another example I hope you'll enjoy. At one point, I really thought I was gonna have to declare bankruptcy. Now I never did declare bankruptcy with all my failures, which you can read about. Uh, and so my accountant, who was also a good friend of mine and a classmate from Stanford, uh, I said, I, I think we need to talk to uh, uh, and get this started. He said, well, I'll introduce you to a bankruptcy attorney. He said, I don't think you need to file bankruptcy, Max. And I said, well, listen, I don't see any way out of this thing. I think it's time to cut and run. So we went in there and the bankruptcy attorney said, okay, I understand. I'll take your case. Uh, I need a $5,000 deposit, and we get started. And I said, $5,000? If I had $5,000, I wouldn't be sitting in your office. <laughs> so my accountant said to me, here's what I want you to do, Max. I want you to picture yourself down on your hands and knees, and there's a peanut in front of you. And I want you to start pushing that peanut with your nose across the carpet to the other side of the room. And only every once in a while, sit up and look behind you and see the progress that you've made and then get back down and just keep pushing that peanut, keep pushing that peanut. And when your nose gets bloody and you've got holes in your knee, pants and your knees from, from crawling across, you may make it. If you get to the wall and you haven't, it's time to stand up and go find another peanut. So, it's, there are times that are obvious. There are times when you look at your finances and taking care of your family or your or your employees, and you say, you know, it's it's no longer good for all of you to follow me in this venture. I've got to move on to another venture. Dr. Robert Schuler, the Crystal Cathedral Hour of Power, wonderful, wonderful man, became a spiritual mentor of mine. I got to know him quite well, and uh, he told me from from time to time a theory that he had, a program called Peak to Peak. 
He said, you know, Max, climbing up that mountain and getting to the top, it's fun, isn't it? And I said, yes, sir, it sure is. I love it getting to the top. And you plant your flag, you know, and, and he said, now what do you do? And I said, well, I mean, you enjoy being up there. And he said, no, 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 no. You're going to get bored to death. He said, look around and you'll see other peaks, other mountain peaks. And you want to go for those. Pick one. And he said, but you know how do you get there? You first got to go down in the valley and start all over. Sometimes it's just smart either to fall off the mountain or hopefully to just go down, let somebody else enjoy the benefits of your work and your success and go from peak to peak. Max, we have time for one more question. And we're talking <laughs> okay. about learning from failure. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask the next question. You may have answered it, maybe. Okay. But I'm curious, what has been your biggest failure or what you consider was the biggest failure and what you learned from it? Maybe it, maybe you've discussed it or not, but what was the biggest failure you've ever had? I, I've had a lot of them. And uh, I guess the one that led almost to bankruptcy uh, was the most painful. Uh, prior to the problems all developing, I had built my dream home. Uh, on a golf course. It was a Spanish Mediterranean. It was beautiful, beautiful deal. And I had a golf court, golf cart with a television in it and all. I mean, I, I, a couple of Jaguars sitting out in the one that I bought from Mac Davis. It, I mean, I was riding high. Uh, and I started a new venture in real estate. I had been in the hotel business. I'd built 18 hotels and, and co-owned and, and managed and operated them. And they were successful. So I felt like, you know, I had a, a good basis. Uh, real estate had kind of been my field, my field of expertise, I think, at any rate, in the early days. And so Remax the real estate, residential real estate resale company that you see all over the place, Remax. Uh, they were expanding and doing really well. And so I met with the uh, owners and I bought seven Remax territories from San Francisco to Sacramento. Now, here's another thing. If one is good, 10 must be better, right? No. Absolutely no. So I bought into too much and I started rapidly leasing buildings for the offices, leasing equipment, printers and computers and all that, uh, everything. And then a marketing campaign to hire the best real estate agents I could pay high to attract them in. And uh, I think I probably got 12 or 14 offices open. And it was like, what if I gave a party and nobody came? Remember the recession, the housing bust? And it caught me expanding. The agents left, nobody was buying houses and the business just went boom. So I had to negotiate my way out of all those leases. I had to negotiate my all the equipment leases and the land leases and the building leases. And I had to sell my home I had a small business loan, SBA loan, and they put a lien on your house. It's a, it's a secured loan with SBA. 
And so they took most of the proceeds from the sale of my house. It took me 14 months to sell the house. And I took the first offer, which was a big loss. And I thought, I'm done. I'm done. I had to move. I moved to Napa, California and rented a house from two very nice ladies that uh, were kind enough so that every month that I couldn't pay the rent, they were okay with it. They said, you'll get there. You'll get there, young man. Just keep, you know. And so uh, finally, I was introduced to a new opportunity, and I just went at it uh, headlong and recovered nicely. But I was at the bottom. My wife worked in a Quonset hut building selling weightlifters gloves to fitness centers on telephone. There's one other place where I felt a guy said, you did really well in network marketing in the vitamin industry. I've got a new product. I think you ought to join us. And what is it? He said, it's dog food. Dog food. Yeah. He said, well, so think of all the people that own pets. This is a great dog food. It's priced right. And I said, well, all right, I guess I'll try it. Uh, he said, well, let's go and, and make a presentation. You were always really good at that, Max. And I said, okay. So he shows up and we go to a house. We didn't go to a hotel to a bunch of people we, or a dog show. We went to somebody's house that had dogs. Fence around the house, dogs barking, and signs says, beware of the dogs. And here I am thinking, okay, I recently was a multimillionaire, and here I am at somebody's house selling dog food. We went in, and it did not go well. The presentation did not go well. So I got back home, and uh, he said, uh, you know, you're going to need to get some more product to demonstrate, because if anybody knows, Max, not to stop at one no, no is a reason for more information. It's a request for more information, right? So I said, okay, fine. So I ordered, I said, so send me some of the dog food. So, I was, so a truck shows up at my house and he said, I have that dog food that you need. And I said, okay. Uh, he said, where do you want me to put it? I said, I just lay it here on the driveway. I'll put it in the garage. He said, sir, I don't think you want me to do that. I said, why not? Sir, it's a pallet of dog food. What? a whole pallet of 25-pound sacks of dog food. He said, you don't want to leave it outside. The smell is going to attract rabbits, dogs, skunks. I said, okay, so put it in the garage. Put it in the garage, and guess what? It did. I had more animals around my house than you can imagine. So I called the company back, and I said, come get your doggone dog food. <laughs> I said, And so you go from being a multimillionaire to selling dog food. And you remember that story? company that sold dog food, and they said the CEO came in to his marketing staff. He said, it's not working. We're not selling a dog food. I mean, what is going on? We've got the best marketing. We've got great packaging. The dog food is good. It's highly nutritious. What is going on? And one guy finally raised his hand, and he said, sir, I think I know what the problem is. And he says, what? What is the problem? He said, the dogs don't like the dog food. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Great stories. <laughs> There's so much here to talk about, so much to share. Guys, you got to pick up this book. It's really good. Once again, we talked about learning from failure with Max James. And again, that's maxjamesauthor.com. Max, thank you for sharing entertaining, enlightening, and there's some, we're laughing and joking and chuckling, but these are some powerful topics. I mean, to fail is not something to laugh at, yet you just, you bounce higher. That's all it's, that's what it is. And that's the biggest takeaway. And I'm going to study this some more. I just want to thank you so much. This has been great. 
Oh, it's my honor, Tony. It really was. I enjoyed it. As you can tell, I like telling these stories. And that's what the book is. Number one, marketing uh, is to be entertaining and then tell your story with a call to action. And you've done that for me, Tony. Thank you. The call to action is to read the book. <laughs> okay, everyone, you have your marching orders. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Tony. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. Quite something, learning from failure with Max James. We talked about his backstory. We talked about Vietnam and back and forth into different business uh, structures and different business stories. We talked about getting shot down twice. And while I think I touched upon it just a little bit, when you get shot down once, you don't have to go back. But he went back. And I think that's because he has this burning purpose, this passion to help his fellow man and rescue those pilots that have been shot down out there. So I guess that really goes uh, goes a long way. And it just shows the character that he is. And that's one of the things that the thread was underlined throughout this interview is just the kind of character he is. He wants to be successful. He doesn't quit no matter what failure he runs into or has. He bounces back better. I'm just so impressed with that. And I was surprised, but it wasn't until many, many years later that he wrote the book about being shot down twice. And a key part of this interview was the fear of failure, how to deal with it, how to come back. We talked about resilience, leadership. I love the tractor stories on the farm. If you don't like your work, you probably don't do it very well. Go find something that you're going to love and do well at great and as well as some other great points we've learned we've heard these as entrepreneurs but it's always good to get them from another level and get another story to understand how important it is always be prepared to walk away from the negotiating table and i just love this the richest man in the world says hey hey we're friends i want to keep your friendship let's go have lunch let's go take a break this isn't worth it when have you done that that's important cut your losses early don't sell past the close. Don't burn any bridges behind you. All sorts of great stuff. Just love it. Go check him out. Go buy his book. And please remember supporting this show with a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any Apple device, you have Apple Podcasts free. Just go navigate to the Tony D'Urso Show. I thank you kindly for saying something nice about the show. And this is the biggie. Please share this with a few friends and help them too, all right? Let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks and remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.